Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. On today's episode, returning featured guest Mike Giblin, LPRC Senior Research Scientist, gives insight on the surprisingly accessible world of internet shoplifting communities and marketplaces, and what it's like to buy ES Detaches online as a shoplifter. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through four of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the LPRC's Crime Science Podcast, um, reporting live from Gainesville, Florida. Um, and what I'd like to do today is keep us rolling a little bit inside the mind of the offender. And, and anybody that's listened to this uh, podcast for a while knows that uh, what we do at the LPRC and what our team at the University of Florida does is, by and large, uh, try and reduce crime events or attempts by deterring, disrupting, and do- documenting. But it's all very heavily psychological uh, premise uh, saturated. And so psychology is where we think we begin. There's sociology involved, of course, but it's really an individual taking in information uh, over time and then immediately in a situation and making a call, making a decision. And that's based on, in part, what they're seeing and feeling right there, rightly or wrongly. So psychology is what it's all about. And, you know, in talking with Dr. Shikitano from the University of Florida, talking with Stephanie Lynn, a research scientist at the LPRC, and so on. That's what we've explored. Um, what, what do people pick up? How do they perceive things? How do they communicate with each other? How do they recruit, scout, acquire, travel, and, and, and all these things that have to happen? And today we're going to talk with our senior research uh, scientist, Mike Giblin. He's the leader of our research team. And uh, in that realm uh, of research, he's going to talk a little about what he's finding looking for on the Internet and and other places in addition to us talking to people on the ground um, that are involved in in crime. Uh, And, of course, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Tom Meehan, uh, a VP of several important parts of Control Tech and a a longtime LPAP practitioner at the Home Depot, uh, of course, at Bloomingdale's and so forth. Tom, I'm going to go over to you to make a quick intro, and then uh, we'll talk with uh, our senior research scientist, Mike Giblin. Well, thank you, Reed. Thank you, Mike, for joining. Uh, it's great to be on the podcast. Uh, we have an exciting episode. It's always uh, fun to talk about the LPRC and some of the great research projects that are going on. Uh, so today, Mike is going to talk a little bit about a, a rather large project that was broken up into two uh, Mike, why don't you just start and give just a brief overview of how this all started and how you ended up taking one very large uh, project and breaking it down into two. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Reed. Thanks, Tom. So um, the Product Protection Working Group uh, has been around in the LPRC for a very long time. I've been facilitating it for about five years now. And in that group, we uh, do a lot of work looking at EAS technologies. Um, one of the common themes that's come up uh, over the years has been this idea that uh, this technology is becoming a little bit easier to find. Uh, you can you know, find attachers online. You can maybe find tutorials on how to defeat uh, these technologies online, YouTube videos, Reddit forums. 
so on and so forth. Um, so it seemed like it was really uh, reaching kind of a point where our members wanted us to explore that a little bit. So as Reed kind of alluded to, a lot of the research that we do is uh, kind of in the laboratory setting or in a setting where we bring someone in and talk to them. Um, and it's it's not observational in nature. So uh, there's things uh, like the Hawthorne effect. There's things like, uh, you know, observer bias, those types of things that occur in that, in that domain. And uh, one of the big advantages to more observational research or going out and just trying to take a look at how uh, how things are working um, is that you uh, don't disturb the uh, the kind of environment that you're trying to study. You get kind of a clear picture of what it would look like um, if you weren't present in it. And so uh, we wanted to take a look at uh, the online world of uh, of trying to learn how to shoplift as well as of trying to uh, obtain shoplifting tools, uh, particularly EAS detachers, uh, magnet detachers, those types of things. Um, so it's it kind of ended up getting split into two because uh, we we needed to explore the world of online shoplifting in general a little bit in order to get our bearings and to find where we could get these detachers um, and kind of where to start. Um, one of the really exciting pieces of this was, uh, from my perspective, uh, kind of being able to take off the research scientist hat a little bit. And uh, I actually kind of had to go in and uh, approach this with the mindset of what would a typical person that's interested in shoplifting uh, do? What would they uh, kind of uh, have at their disposal as far as tools? Um, so, you know, they wouldn't have a business email address that they could uh, ask people to send technologies to. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily have the knowledge of the industry that someone like myself that's been in for a couple of years would. Um, so it was a really uh, fun endeavor in pretending to be a shoplifter and kind of uh, getting into that character and playing that role, uh, you know, trying to go in and uh, use the same type of web browsers they would and uh, approach it very similarly to how they would. So I, I know that uh, at the LPR Impact Conference, you went over this study in detail and you also read a, wrote a fantastic article, what it's like to buy EAS detachers online as a shoplifter. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough to hear you speak about it live at Impact, read the article, and then talk to you about it a couple of times. What are what are some of the key things that you learned in the process of tr essentially turning yourself into a shoplifter and trying to find these detachers? What are some of the key things that you learned? Yeah, so um, I think going into this, I had kind of this vision conjured in my mind of uh – having to do a little bit more legwork to get myself started than than what ended up actually occurring. So I thought I would have to download, you know, Tor or some sort of dark web browser. I thought that I would have to create, you know, a couple of fake, uh, maybe a, a new credit card account or uh, go get gift cards, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think the thing that struck me most right out of the bat, uh, sorry, right out of the gate is uh, just how easy it was and how kind of uh, how apparent this is. And it's not something that's, you know, deep in the dark web. It's uh, it's in the top five Google searches when you search for something as simple as how do I shoplift or where do I get an EAS detacher. Um, so you can just, you know, it's it's available for anyone to take a look at. Um, so it's uh, kind of disheartening from the perspective of, uh, of someone that's in the retail LP world um, that these things are so uh, visible and so easy. You know, you can just go in, Google, it'll be one of the top 10 hits. Um, and you can find yourself in forums that, you know, give very specific step-by-step uh, -step guidelines on how to shoplift. Um, you'll find uh, places that will tell you exactly what detachers you need and uh, give you advice on how to steal those detachers from retail stores or how to purchase them online if, that, if that's the way that you decide to go. Um, so I think that was one of the things that really struck me uh, right off the bat. Another piece that was very interesting was the kind of uh, psychological kind of wrapping that these uh, that these forums were couched within. Um, so I found two basic uh, types of, uh, of web domains that contain 
explain this type of shoplifting and detach your information. Uh, the first is uh, kind of anti-capitalistic and anarchist in nature. So uh, there were web pages where you could find information on shoplifting that had a lot of rhetoric about, uh, you know, uh, comrades, let's come together and, you know, uh, fight the good fight against capitalism and against, you know, these evil big corporations. Um, it was actually uh, couched within this uh, survivalism kind of thing and pitched it as uh, almost uh, similar to a tutorial on how, you know, to, to make fire or something like that. It's like, uh, you know, once once uh, this thing all falls apart, you're really going to need to know how to shoplift. So it was almost a, a survival guide of sorts uh, of, of how to shoplift. Um, so that's kind of the first uh, archetype that I saw. The second was uh, more of an informative kind of online forum. So just like you would go to any blog or any sort of online Reddit forum, for instance, to learn how to knit or to learn how to uh, install a new computer program, uh, the kind of prose that these uh, EAS detacher tutorials were written in was just as informative and just as kind of uh, matter of fact as, uh, as any of those others that you would see. Um, so it was written uh, in a way that was meant to serve a community. So you're writing something that you think is going to be helpful. Uh, the reward system seems to be this kind of open feedback loop of uh, upvotes in the case of things like forums, you know, likes, people acknowledging your work, saying, wow, that was a great tutorial. You know, uh, you clearly know a lot about this. You've done a great job. Uh, so it seemed to almost be this, uh, this social kind of uh, communal uh, piece to it. And uh, it, it wasn't written in a very apologetic way, as I mentioned. It was very much, you know, matter of fact, this is how you conduct uh, this type of behavior. And, and I know that this is a, a more opinion-based question, but I think, you know, we, we talk so heavily today about organized retail crime, and I know that's something that I have a passion for. And when I was in asset protection, I had global responsibility for, and, you know, commonly, it's like the number one thing I think that comes up when I see people today is organized retail crime. Did you have a sense on those forums? Was it more habitual shoplifters, disgruntled folks just writing about it? Was there anything that keyed you into what type of people were putting the information out there? Um, if I were to take a guess, uh, I don't think that the level of depth that I encountered in most of these tutorials of how to shoplift, where to go, what time of day you should approach certain sections of certain stores, uh, I don't think that that level of depth would have been possible uh, without some sort of insider knowledge. Um, so I do think that uh, these were former employees uh, that at least contributed in part to these uh, to these forums um, and to this kind of uh, to this base of knowledge of, of how to do these types of things. Um, I, I have a perception that ORC folks are maybe a little bit uh, more careful than your habitual shoplifter. Um, if I were an ORC offender, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable going onto a you know online website and you know uh, I'd be thinking about things like my IP address. I'd be thinking about things like me being uh, tracked and this being used against me in court later. Um, but uh, I didn't really find any evidence one way or the other on whether these folks that were part of uh, these online ecosystems were ORC or not. But I do think there was an internal component for sure. So that's very interesting. I, I, you know, I, I often look to the Loss Prevention Research Council and have for many, many years as uh, you, you specifically, Mike and Reed and the whole group really have a depth of knowledge that even a retailer doesn't amass because you have the luxury of working directly with, you know, hundreds of people who get, so you arguably absorb hundreds of people's experience and then get to research it. Uh, with that being said, the information that you're reading, how accurate was it? I mean, really, was it was it was it really good info? Was it something that you think someone could take and actually tangibly use to help them steal, or 
Was it more the associate that got disgruntled and said, hey, you, you can do this? Um, just based on all of your interactions with all the working groups and all the people, because I would say this is, you are an expert in asset protection practices. You are an expert in all those things. So you probably have a good understanding of when you're reading this forum post, was it common sense that someone wrote down? Was it, you know, or was it tangible things that you're going, wow, if someone took this, they'd be able to steal better? That's a really interesting question, Tom. So uh, when we interview offenders in person, um, often the kind of takeaway that I'm left with is uh, more kind of the former of what you're talking about. So uh, the person may think that they're being particularly clever and that they are particularly apt. Um, but uh, in fact, I'm not terribly impressed with uh, with what they're saying. You know, there's, they're essentially just telling me all you have to do is walk into the store and, and run, and no one will stop you. Uh, there's there's no you know super special techniques or anything that are going on. Uh, oftentimes, there are folks that are particularly talented, uh, maybe uh, in the 20 to 30 percent range of the folks that we talk to in person that uh, that I do get a sense are, are very good at what they do uh, in the realm of shoplifting. Um, but it seems like the cream tends to rise to the top in these online forums. So most of the things that I was encountering, I was very impressed by uh, the, the depth of knowledge and by them using the actual uh, terms that we would use in the industry. So, you know, they weren't they weren't just saying the weird black uh, detacher looking thing. You know, they were saying the alpha S3 key is what you're looking for and it's attached in this way. And this is the type of tool you need to remove it. Um, so there were a lot of specifics uh, baked in. There was, again, industry jargon, which I found surprising. Um, and I would say that the overall level of uh, of intellect and of internal knowledge was very high online. It's very interesting. I think um, I kind of agree with you the same way. I, I, I can remember interviewing people that shoplifted that were always so boisterous about, I can do anything, I'm going to do this. And I'd literally appropriately and professionally say, well, you got caught. So I'm like, you're sitting here talking to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that was... <laughs> That was always the funny thing where I think some of the more cautious people that are detail-oriented are the ones that, that take a little bit more approach. So but I, I would love to get into the specifics of the, of the study. I, I, you know, I, I think it would be really interesting what, what the actual process was like to, let's just say I'm a bad guy and actually wanted to buy a magnetic detacher or an S3 key. What, what is that like? What is the process like? How long does it take? Um, I know that you went through the fundamentals of it was easy to find them, but when you actually went to the step of saying, I'm going to buy this, what actually happens? Yeah, so um, I did have a couple kind of ground rules for myself. As I mentioned, I, I wanted to approach this as similarly to how I think a, a typical, you know, would-be shoplifter would approach this. Um, so a couple things I did, um, I used, you know, um, personal email address. I didn't want uh, to get special treatment because I had an email domain that looked as though it might be professional. Um, another thing I did was I did uh, purchase uh, gift cards and use those in order to buy these. I figured that um, that would maybe be a level of care that, that uh, more so than not. Uh, offenders would take. They wouldn't want to enter their own personal credit card information. Um, I went on the web and looked for uh, essentially the different types of detachers that were a part of this study. So uh, we had uh, five different technologies from uh, four solution providers. Uh, we looked at the Alpha S3 key as well as their new encoded key. Uh, we looked at Alltag's QTag, which is a very high strength magnet that also uses a, a magnet array um, that's, uh, that's supposed to be uh, kind of uh, impossible to uh, to duplicate unless you have the actual magnet itself. You can't just use a very strong single magnet. 
uh, the CIS magnet and IR system. So it has an infrared light trigger that uh, pairs with the magnet. Um, and if you don't have that infrared light, then it won't open. Um, and then the uh, Cifron LM and uh, IR Turtle technologies. So um, I went looking for these. I also looked for basic technologies like a fairly low strength detacher, around 6,000 gauss, um, as well as a high uh, strength magnet magnetic detacher. And those were kind of the domains uh, of uh, technologies that I was looking around for. Um, I started out looking just on the general, you know, Google web search. Um, I ended up kind of going down the path of Amazon.com. Alibaba.com, Craigslist, eBay, and Walmart.com. Those were the main places that um, I found myself more often than not. Um, so the process itself uh, for most of these places uh, did not involve creating an account, which I found a little bit surprising. Um, but I think Amazon.com was the only place that I needed an account in order to uh, to do what I needed to. The other places I could kind of just do a temporary, you know, order as a guest kind of thing. Uh, the uh, gift cards worked in 100% of the cases. So uh, there was never a point where somebody stopped me and said, uh, as I entered that information, this is a gift card. We need you to pay with a credit card or something along those lines. Uh, so I thought that that was noteworthy. Uh, the shipment dates uh, varied quite a bit. Um, so I had some things that uh, offered, you know, two-day shipping and free returns and a satisfaction guarantee. Um, I had others that, uh, you know, it was it would arrive eventually, it would arrive someday, it was coming from China, um, and it would get there when it gets there. Um, so there was a lot of variation uh, in that uh, kind of metric of, of when things were going to arrive. Uh, I think one of the most striking things that occurred uh, once I actually made these purchases uh, was the rate at which I didn't get what was advertised. So I had several technologies that uh, were kind of a bait and switch. Uh, they sent me just an empty kind of uh, package that had just a, a little card that said your your actual package is on the way, but it never actually came. So um, it seems like uh, they're potentially uh, kind of trying to take advantage of the fact that uh, whoever's ordering these things is probably too timid to complain to customer service. And so uh, it seems like maybe there's some uh, some folks that are taking advantage of that. Um, I had a couple technologies that were delivered and seemed as advertised, but they had claims at being able to open a hyperlock. Um, and once they got them here to the lab, uh, they turned out to not be the, the magnet strength that was necessary to actually do that. So they were a little bit lower strength uh, than they had been advertised to be. Um, so those were, I think, the most striking things right off the bat. And uh, so when you talk about ship times and, and things of that nature, was did you have any interaction with any of the sellers? I, I think I recall you talking about some like deep interaction with the sellers. What was that like? Was it helpful? Um, were they giving you accurate information? Was Were they just being good customer service people? I remember you talking about an impact. I remember, but really, I remember that striking that. But what was it really? I know we only talked briefly about it. What was it really like, the interaction? Yeah, so... Um I think the, the most interesting uh, website was Alibaba.com. So on Alibaba, uh, the system's a little bit different than it is on other websites like Amazon. You're not actually placing an order for something. You're kind of placing a, a bid. You're saying, I want this number of uh, units of this type of technology. And then suppliers will essentially uh, try to satisfy that bid. They'll, they'll, re they'll respond to your email address and they'll say, I can fulfill that bid at this price. I can fulfill that bid at that price. Um, so 
that's kind of what happened. I was only ordering a single unit. Uh, the price point for these things uh, in this case was, I think, around $150 to $200 for a single unit, uh, which was enough incentive for uh, some individuals to reach out to me on and you know personally and kind of try to operate as sort of a concierge service. Um, so that was kind of the uh, the article that uh, that I wrote and shared in LPM. That's uh, that's been kind of circulating is uh, the personal shoplifting concierge. So it, it was a really interesting experience. I had one individual reach out to me um, and essentially say, uh, hey, you know, I can fulfill this order for you, but not only can I get you this high uh, Gauss detacher, but I can get you anything you want. So uh, what else can I help you with? What other types of, I think she worded it, what other types of uh, tags do you use so that I can get you what you need? Um, so at that point, you know, as, as uh, potentially a shoplifter, as I'm, as I'm kind of trying to portray, um, I essentially said, I would like to unlock these different types of tags. I didn't directly say I own these tags or that I run a store or anything like that. I just said, these are the things I would like to, to attach. I didn't say defeat, but um, I, I think, you know, everybody in the conversation seemed to understand uh, potentially what was happening here. Um, so there was some back and forth. There were about five uh, email interactions back and forth uh, of me saying, you know, I basically put together a menu of all the different technologies that I was interested in that were part of this test. I said, I want all these. Uh, there was some back and forth. Well, can you give me more specifics on this? There were a couple of cases where um, I, I believe this individual was located in China and uh, the website that I had sent her uh, did not appear for her. So it, it appeared to be blocked in, in the country of China, uh, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if it, it was necessarily deliberate on the part of uh, the solution provider involved. Um, but uh, there was this downstream effect of if your website's not available in China, uh, you may be less susceptible to this type of thing occurring where, where somebody's interacting uh, with a supplier that's located there trying to, uh, to obtain your detachers uh, for kind of illicit use. Um, from there, uh, we did some back and forth, and uh, she ended up only being able to supply me what I had originally kind of placed a bid for, which is a high Gauss magnetic detacher, and it did arrive, um, but again, wasn't able to open the uh, the hyperlocks from Control Tech that we had here at the lab. And so that was actually a question that I, I wanted to turn to you, Tom. Um, I think you may uh, have a little bit more uh, kind of domain expertise when it comes to what the Gauss ratings are and what hyperlock, you know, exactly means. Um, so uh, would you say, you know, I, I think I ordered something that said it was 15 15,000 Gauss, and it did not open your hyperlock, um, is, would the expectation be that a 15,000 Gauss would open that hyperlock, or um, is, is that a kind of higher magnetic strength that's necessary? Yeah, so there, it's, a, it's a little bit of, there's a little semantics in the name. So when you think of a standard lock, you know, you'll, you'll hear the term of 16,000 Gauss. There is a range, so a 6,000 for a standard. There is a range associated with the locking mechanism if it's a spring-based locking mechanism. So if it's a clutch, it, it is what it is. But when you apply a spring to it, the spring, uh, let's say, I just use, it doesn't matter the locking mechanism. Let's say the gauss for uh, a standard is 6,000. That spring is going to have a range of maybe four to six. I'm just using that as an example. When you get into hyper, uh, or super, it's the same thing. So if if you use a spring-loaded size, anybody who tells you an exact science either doesn't understand it or has never really done testing, because um, springs wear and springs, you know, they have metal fatigue. So if you designed a, a spring to start at 16,000, every time you open it, it could change that. But hyperlock, um, what we generally do is go to the, the highest quality spring or metal we can. So we start at the very highest point where in some cases you might have something that's 14,000 gauss, which is still harder than a super standard, but
but isn't truly the highest method. It isn't an exact science. We can't control if, if a retailer turns their inventory 12 times a year, 15 times a year, or three times a year. That has a direct effect on the, the spring mechanism. It should never go lower than the point of you know, uh, a hyper and, and, you know, unless it was used, bazil you know, hundreds of thousands of times or damaged. Uh, but there are cases where a magnet that you order online, um, and I don't want to say from an unreputable source, but if you're buying something from Alibaba and you don't know who you're buying it from, that magnet might be hyper in the sense that it's above 12,000 gauss, but it isn't the max range. So, that's one of the, the things with hyper that is interesting. And um, what we're finding in the US, quite honestly, is that hyper, um, because the magnet is harder to get and more expensive uh, for folks, that the re retailers we're seeing are having good results. It's highly adopted in Europe, highly adopted outside the US. It would actually, um, I'm fortunate, you know, working in retail and kind of seeing how people steal and doing those things for over 20 years and working so closely with the LBRC and then switching sides. Um, we, I do a tremendous amount of international travel, I'll say. So what are people doing in other countries differently than us? How does it work? And, you know, Reed would, would disown me if I didn't take a scientific method. So I don't just sit down and guess. I actually test and do lab and we use independent testing. And so we really want to make sure that if we're making a statement that it is truly fact-based, and that we can back that up and understand. And when I started here, we learned very quickly that in Europe, it was almost impossible to find a standard lock, that it was all super or hyper. And uh, when I started talking to people about super, they they literally both from a retail and, a, and a, an integrator said, well, why would you ever buy that? Why would you start with the easiest to defeat? Why wouldn't you start with the hardest? And so um, that's what we're seeing. And um, to your point, and I, I had a question specifically to Hyper. Did you actually get any good Hyperlock detachers in that really opened every Hyperlock tag you had at your exposure? Because um, generally a high-quality Hyperlock magnet is expensive, like costs more than $150 for everybody. You know, even if you buy it in mm -hmm. volume, where a standard lock magnet, you could probably get sub $10 if you knew where to get it, even sub 5 so did you personally get any Hyperlock magnets that actually worked on the whole array of tags? Uh, we did not. So uh, we're going to do uh, multiple iterations of this. Obviously, this is a very kind of uh, dynamic situation. You'll find uh, certain technologies available one day on eBay that will sell and not be available the next day. Uh, so we want to do a couple of kind of snapshots in time. But for uh, this particular uh, portion of the test, uh, we got a, uh, a high gauss magnet detacher that opened some of the uh, of the hyperlocks in the array that we have here at the lab, but uh, did not open others, and so uh, we didn't get anything that that was capable of opening every single one. Okay, and then I had just a question. So the your person from Alibaba that you were interacting with in those five messages said she could get you anything. Did you ask her for an array of detachers, and was she actually able to get you anything? Um, so she was approaching it from the perspective of what types of tags I was looking to detach. Uh, in her opinion, the, uh, the item that she was able to source to me was a hyper and was uh, capable of uh, opening you know, any high magnet strength uh, uh, tag that didn't have another technology such as IR built into it. Uh, that turned out to not be correct. As I mentioned, once we received it, it was able to open some but not all uh, hyperlocks. Um, and uh, her response actually uh, 
to trying to source these other technologies was uh, pleasantly responsible. So um, her response to, I believe, the uh, the Alpha S3 uh, key with the encoder, as well as the CIS magnet and the Cifron tag, was something along the lines of, these are copyrighted uh, detachers. I cannot get them for you. You have to go straight to the manufacturer. Um, so that was pleasant to see. Well, that's great. And then just out of curiosity, because I, I you had a really good chart in the LP magazine that I remember looking at it in the you know on the article, but don't recall from it. Um, what was your success rate overall in going through all these pieces? Where you, uh, not including where people did bait and switch, but when you actually asked for a product that was delivered, it worked overall. Mm -hmm. um, so. I'll, I'll kind of go over things based on the technology type. So uh, one kind of really striking piece was that uh, low uh, magnetic strength and high magnetic strength attachers were uh, very similar when it came to ease of acquisition. The only real difference was price point. So the exact same websites that I had success getting the 6,000 Gauss, I had equal success getting the 15 or 16,000 Gauss, which I was a little bit surprised by there. Um, I was only able to get one Alpha S3 key, and this was the classic Alpha that doesn't have the encoder uh, kind of chip built into it. Um, and there's an interesting story there uh, that I'll tell here in a second. But the other technologies I had, I didn't have any success with. And one of the pieces that I talk about um, when, when I presented this research is that uh, a lot of these technologies are fairly new. Um, they aren't terribly kind of ubiquitous. They're not in a ton of stores. Um, and so it's going to be a supply and demand kind of thing. So uh, we definitely want to do a retest of this once uh, some of these technologies are in stores and uh, the demand pumps up and, you know, kind of the whole ecosystem starts to form a little bit around it. Um, but back to that Alpha S3 key, um, I was only able to find it in one place. Um, it was uh, an eBay order that essentially was a single S3 key and 25 uh, spider wraps. So I placed the order. I think it was around $70 that it cost. Um, it arrived fairly quickly within about a week. Um, and these things had clearly been used quite a bit. So the uh, the S3 key was very dirty, grungy looking. Uh, when you flipped it over and looked on the back, there was an adhesive, a strong adhesive that, uh, you know, you would think had uh, adhered it to maybe a, a counter at a store. Um, and you could see where someone had taken a Phillips head screwdriver and worked that thing loose. You could see kind of the damage marks. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. I made note of it. And when I presented this at the Impact Conference, um, we actually had the Checkpoint team there and they came... Uh, and spoke to me afterwards. Uh, we've passed each detacher around the room. Everyone had a chance to touch and feel everything. They flipped the thing over and they typed in the serial uh, number. They sent it back to their home office. And uh, by the time I was done talking 30 minutes later, uh, they were able to tell me exactly who they had sold that detacher to, what store it was in. So it turned out to be from a, a closed Toys R Us store in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, they were able to tell me when they sold it to them. Um, and we were really able to kind of go down the rabbit hole and say, okay, so what happened obviously was this store closed and uh, there was some sort of liquidation that took place um, and this thing ended up potentially in the wrong hands. Uh, you know, it was ended up being okay because I went to the LPRC team, but it could have gone anywhere at that point. So that sparked a really interesting conversation about, um, you know, ownership of these detachers, who owns it once it gets sent to the retailer, uh, you know, serialization, uh, you know, being more responsible when it comes to tracking these things uh, when, when a store closes and when things liquidate, getting it back to the solution provider, maybe there's a buyback program. Uh, there were a lot of really interesting thoughts there that uh, we're going to continue to look at in 2019. Well, yeah, that's very interesting. I, I know um, in my past on the retail side in multiple locations, um, serialization 
was very intriguing when we were dealing with ORC or internal cases. It was always nice to be able to, if we had an internal case, identify what store the attachment came from and or an ORC. And I do know that uh, sitting on the other side, we do have some customers that request serialization, some that don't care. Um, you know, so that, that I'd really interested in the future of that. And then you had mentioned that you did some research early on um, related to forms and things. During that research, and it may, you may not have come across it, but during that research, did you find videos that said you don't need a detacher, you can take the tag off this way? Um, I didn't, uh, but I think that's uh, definitely an interesting piece uh, that we're going to look at here in the future. Uh, the scope of this particular research was looking more at honest you know, to goodness detachers that were designed by the manufacturer themselves. I think that there's a really interesting uh, kind of second avenue that you're uh, alluding to that looks at uh, makeshift detachers. So, you know, can I stack a bunch of magnets together or can I, you know, have my iPhone IR kind of sensor paired with a with a magnet and all these different types of things. We did interview 20 offenders uh, to pair up with this research. And uh, a lot of what they were talking about was uh, you know, a plan to be able to somehow defeat this thing. Uh, so, for instance, the Cifron technology uses a, a light strobe, and they thought that maybe they could somehow download a program that would uh, simulate that light strobe on their on their cell phone flashlight. Um, there were folks that were uh, expressing to us that, you know, I got a buddy that works construction, or I got a buddy that works at a butcher shop, and, you know, uh, these different places where they were very confident that they could get their hands on a magnet that was strong enough to defeat anything. Um, this whole concept of, uh, of magnets that uh, you couldn't just over power uh, was maybe a little bit lost on some of the folks that we talked with. Um, so there's this, yeah, there's additional avenue of uh, devising your own device as well as, you know, just using brute force, finding a way to, you know, um, I've heard a technique where they take like a hair tie or a rubber band and they just keep twisting it to create enough pressure to pop it. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting piece that we'll look at here in 2019 as well. Well, that's actually, I guess I have now, now you've piqued my interest in the offenders. Out of the 20 offenders in your interview, have had any of them ever purchased the doctor before? Um, they hadn't. Uh, I, I believe I had uh, some individuals that uh, felt very confident that they, you know, knew someone that worked in retail, a close friend or family member, and that they would be able to get it from a friend very easily. Uh, that seemed to be a more common uh, avenue that people thought that they, they would uh, pursue. So uh, they seemed less comfortable uh, with going online and trying to buy this thing through commerce or from a stranger, from eBay, so on and so forth. Uh, it seemed like they uh, were thinking more along the lines of, I can get this from a friend, uh, which spoke to me to uh, the the way that they maybe view uh, this entire kind of enterprise you know it's uh, it's something that you can't just trust anyone with uh, the folks that end up working together in little you know ORC rings or working together uh, you know as, as a lookout person and a, and a person going into the store are often uh, you know family members or there's a very deep level of trust uh, that's been established there um, and that seems to be uh, kind of steering them away from this option of, of looking for online detachers which I found interesting. And throughout the whole process, Mike, was there any, sh I mean, you've been doing this for a while, so this is always what I'm interested in. Was there anything shocking, like truly, if you said the one thing that I was just blown away by, uh, what would that be? Hmm. So I think from the offender uh, perspective, I think that the, uh, 
the fact that the perception, like the the first impression of each uh, detacher type, seemed to really uh, tell the story and stick with them. So uh, it was very much about how intimidating a detacher looked, or how um, you know the the words that I was using to articulate what it was, uh, whether any of them were particularly impressive. So you know, light strobe or IR, whatever the case may be. Um, people seemed uh, to form opinions, and uh, it seemed to be more about that initial opinion uh, when it came to their level of deterrence than it was about the technology itself and the actual nuts and bolts of could you defeat this thing? You know, there's a reality out there of, uh, you know, could you take an iPhone and, uh, and create the light strobe you need, or could you get the IR sensor that you need? Um, and those realities did not seem to, uh, to be nearly as important as those immediate perceptions. And so if we're looking at this from a deterrence standpoint, it's really important, uh, you know, naming these things correctly, uh, thinking about the way that, uh, that the uh, technologies that you talk about are going to kind of immediately hit the palate of the offender. Um, if it sounds intimidating enough, then they might uh, avoid it, whether or not the technology is actually sound. And on the flip side of that, if the technology is great, but it doesn't sound intimidating, then you might end up uh, with less deterrence than you'd like to see right off the bat. Um, from the perspective of uh, kind of overall on this study, the thing that was most shocking, um, I think, was the concierge piece to it. So um, I found it very surprising. Uh, the customer service level was absolutely fantastic. So, um, you know, it was it, it was right on par with, you know, American Express or Bank of America or any of these companies that you would expect to see this from. Uh, the entire five or six uh, email uh, back and forth occurred over the course of about 48 hours. Um, you know, we were in different time zones, and that didn't seem to, to hold things up at all. It wasn't a tremendously large monetary value, this order. You know, it was a single detacher for around $150. Um, but I was really surprised at, at the level of kind of, uh, you know, customer service that, that I encountered. Um, and uh, I think that that really spoke to this larger theme that um, I was expecting to feel uh, more like I was in the dark during this process, that I was kind of creeping through the shadows, when uh, in reality, it felt just like shopping for anything else. You know, it, it didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong, um, which, which was really interesting. Yeah, that, that is definitely interesting, especially with the level of interaction. So are there key takeaways that a retailer should, should, should think about or a solution provider should think about? Is there two or three key takeaways based on this or do we need to do more research? Uh, well, one of the pieces that I talked about uh, at the end of the talk at the Impact Conference was a potential opportunity to um, to use the fact that these uh, would-be offenders are gathered at these spaces, you know, uh, of the internet and uh, try to come up with some cool advertising. So, you know, you can try to buy out ad space uh, on eBay's website whenever types whenever someone types in a certain, you know, keyword search of EAS or alpha or whatever. Uh, not only can you do your best as a team to try to monitor that and make sure that none of your product's available, but you could have some sort of banner ad that pops up that says, hey, just so you know, you know, we're doing our best to monitor this or, you know, uh, Walmart's doing this or that, or this store's doing this or that. Um, on, on the online forums, you know, who knows who owns these things, so it might be a little bit tougher, but it's definitely a, an interesting uh, thought and uh, potential opportunity for retailers and for solution providers. Great. And and so I know what's the next leg of this research study? So what should our members expect next from this? Because I know it was a, a multi-part and became a very big and living, breathing research study that everybody was really interested in. So what What's the next leg of it? When should people expect to see it? Yeah. So uh, a couple pieces have already been published, uh, but I'm going to bring everything together and finish up uh, the full report on this entire kind of endeavor um, over the course of this Christmas break. So uh, by early January, I'm going to have that out to our membership. That'll go out through our LPRC Connect. 
Um, the future research we're looking at, we're looking for a partner to uh, to look at that advertising space uh, that I just mentioned. So either a retailer or a solution provider that is willing to uh, to work with us on that. We'd love to take a look at you know how we can affect people uh, in what we would call Zone Five. Um, I think it's a really interesting overall concept. We're doing some of that in our Baltimore I chain with violence. We really want to start to understand you know who are the the decision makers, who are the people that you need to get information in front of uh, when you're trying to spread new information about technologies, about deterrence that are out there. Um, so that's uh, an, one piece of uh, research that we're going to be conducting in 2019 that's going to be kind of uh, an additional part of this project. Uh, we're also going to look a little bit closer into uh, the kind of uh, ownership of EAS uh, detachers. So, um, you know, is, is a system where uh, you're renting it instead of owning it as a retailer? Is that more viable? Um, how f- effective is serialization? Um, you know, things along those lines. We're going to take a look at those. We're going to take a look at policies of, you know, what do you do when a store is liquidating or when someone's going out of business? Where do these things end up? Is there a process in place for that? Um, and then, as you mentioned earlier, I think a, a big piece of 2019 is going to be looking at the other side of the coin of, uh, of YouTube videos that show you how to pop an EAS uh, tag off or that show you how to build your own detacher. So rather than trying to get the legitimate thing, um, am I trying to build my own makeshift detacher or am I trying to just defeat it with you know a pair of pliers and a, a rubber band or that type of thing? Uh, so there's a lot of things that we're going to be covering in the product protection group, uh, looking at this kind of EAS uh, ecosystem and, uh, and the feet ecosystem here in 2019. Well, I think uh, I'm very excited for the next steps. Can you uh, just tell the listeners how they can get involved in the product protection group or the LPRC? I mean, uh, I think the bulk of our listeners are members, but I know there are some that aren't because I often get reached out. So how does one get involved in the product protection group? How does one get involved in the LPRC? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so uh, our website's a great place to start for folks that are not terribly familiar with us, lpresearch.org. Uh, from there, you can find uh, a sign-up button that'll uh, give you all the information you need on how to get involved uh, with our organization. If you're already a member and you'd just like to be part of the product protection group, uh, please email mike at lpresearch.org. Uh, just saying, hey, add me to this group. I'll be happy to send you the calendar invite. Uh, we had our call uh, for the month of December earlier this morning, and it went very well. Uh, we had uh, 25 folks on that call, which I was shocked by uh, it being, uh, you know, the the last day uh, that a lot of folks are working before Christmas. But uh, really appreciate that, and that's what that's what's allowed us to uh, to pump out uh, these cool projects is uh, the level of interactivity and uh, of of work that uh, our retail and solution provider members put in in these calls. So uh, really exciting stuff. All right, well, fantastic conversation, uh, Tom. You know, I really appreciate all your questions. I know you've done a lot of homework in this area as well as having a lot of experience. Uh, and Mike, again, super job. Um, and you can see this is what science is all about. It's iterative. It takes time. But we're always building on what we find. And most good research, you hear this all the time, generates a lot more questions than it does answers. And that's fine. That's the way it works. And uh, and this is another piece of uh, really valuable research. And you heard uh, Mike's response on, you know, where are we going next? How are we building on this? And uh, we're talking about going out in Zone 5 beyond the parking lot and trying to understand. And again, we're trying to affect, nudge, whatever, the people that are protecting places, people, assets. And we're trying to do the same thing with those that are offending and further, those that affect offenders. So um, there's a method to the madness. We're trying to work together. 70 plus retail chains uh, 
our science team and 75 uh, solution or technology companies uh, working together in one LPRC a research, research and results community. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in again. We've, got, we've actually got a lot more very interesting, hopefully cool things to talk about in some upcoming episodes. Um, take care out there. Uh, and signing off from Gainesville, Florida, this is Reed Hayes, Tom Meehan for the LPRC Crime Science Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.